Hey everyone, it's Eves. Just wanted to let you know that you'll be hearing an episode from me and an episode from Tracy V. Wilson today. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's July 7th. Joan of Arc's heresy conviction was overturned on this day in 1456, although by that point she had been dead for 25 years. Joan of Arc is how she's known in English. In French, she is generally known as Jeanne d'Arc. She grew up during the 100 Years' War, which actually spanned more like 116 years. This was a war that, at its very basic level, boiled down to who gets to rule France. She grew up in this this territory that was right on the edge of what was controlled by France and what was controlled by England, very roughly speaking. When she was young, she started hearing the voices of three saints, St. Michael, St. Catherine, and St. Margaret, and they told her that she should come to the aid of the French Dauphin. That was Charles de Valois. He would later on become Charles VII, the King of France. And she did. She followed what those voices told her to do. She went to the Dauphin's stronghold in May of 1428, and the captain told her to leave. She did. But she was very persistent. She came back a few months later. She made her journey disguised in men's clothing. And this time they actually let her in. Some theologians questioned her. The idea that she was hearing voices that were religiously oriented, that raised some suspicions. Ultimately, though, these theologians advised the Dauphin to let her do what she was asking to do, which was to try to lead an army to try to save France. They gave her a small army. She went to Orléans on April 27th of 1429. Orléans was besieged by the English at the time, and while these English troops were distracted on the west, she came in from the east. What she was doing was more about inspiring the people than actually being a strategic leader of the military movements themselves. This process continued. She actually wound up being injured in a battle on May 7th and immediately went back to fighting after being bandaged up, and the English were eventually driven out of Orléans. So the Hundred Years' War, as its name suggests, it went on a very long time. The tide of battle shifted back and forth during all of this, and it had not been going well for France in recent years. The population of France and especially areas that were occupied by England, the people were downtrodden, they were exhausted. But this victory in Orléans and Jeanne's leadership really started to to turn the tide back in favor of France. This is the first of a series of victories, and the Dauphin was eventually able to be coronated in July as king. After a series of other battles, Joan was actually captured in May of 1430. She was sold to the English who put her on trial for heresy and witchcraft. During this questioning, they gave her a lot of confusing and deceptive questions, and sometimes one where there was really no right answer at all. There was also a lot of focus on her wardrobe. There are passages in the Bible relating to how women shouldn't, quote, wear that which pertaineth unto a man. This came up a lot. She had been wearing masculine attire during this service to France. She was eventually condemned to death. But when that happened, she recanted her testimony. She agreed to start wearing feminine dress again. A few days later, though, she was found to be wearing masculine attire. And she said that St. Catherine and St. Margaret had appeared to her, and they had told her that she was wrong to give in to what the church had told her to do, that being to dress properly in their minds like a woman. She was burned at the stake. 
And as a relapsed heretic, not actually for witchcraft, the fact that she had relapsed into her heretical ways was what caused it. It was on May 30th of 1431. It is not totally clear exactly how much influence that she had on battles themselves, but she definitely inspired people. The work that she did was what eventually helped Charles become the king of France. He had not intervened during her trial. But afterward, in part because this heresy conviction maybe could have undermined his claim to the throne, he had had such support from her, that connection became very suspicious. He helped get her sentence overturned posthumously. A trial of rehabilitation was convened, and it ultimately found her innocent. There's ongoing debate today about the cause of her visions, where they came from. But now she's recognized as a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. She is a national hero of France. And, of course, she is an object of respect and admiration among women who see that she was able to make a place for herself in this way in the very masculine world of military service during the Hundred Years' War. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on today's episode and to Tari Harrison, who edits all of these episodes. You can learn more about Joan of Arc or Jeanne d'Arc on the April 22nd, 2009 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. And you can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a famous sermon. This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that reveals a little bit more about history day by day. The day was July 7th, 1928. The Chillicothe Baking Company in Missouri sold the first wrapped package of automatically sliced bread. Otto Frederick Roeder was a jeweler who owned three jewelry stores in Missouri. But in 1912, he had also started working on creating a bread slicing machine. At the time, people either baked their own bread or bought whole loaves of bread from the bakery. When they wanted a slice of bread, they had to cut it themselves. That wasn't a terrible task, but it was inconvenient since it was time consuming and slices were hard to cut uniformly. Rowetter created several prototypes for his bread slicing machines, but in 1917, a fire at a factory in Monmouth, Illinois, destroyed his blueprints and a prototype he built. It took him several years to get back up and running. But as he continued working on the design of the machine, he realized that he would have to incorporate into his invention a way to keep the sliced bread fresh. Sliced bread goes stale faster than bread that is not sliced he began designing a machine that sliced and wrapped bread. Pins held the loaf together inside the bag. In 1927, Rowetter filed a patent for a, quote, machine for slicing an entire loaf of bread at a single location, which he received in 1932. But he sold his first machine to his friend and baker, Frank Bench, of the Chillicothe Baking Company. On July 6, 1928, The Chillicothe Constitution Tribune printed a story that said the Chillicothe Baking Company would begin selling sliced bread the next day. The article explained the slicing process and the benefits of pre-sliced and wrapped bread. 
There is not crumbing and no crushing of the loaf, and the result is such that the housewife can well experience a thrill of pleasure when she first sees a loaf of this bread with each slice the exact counterpart of its fellows. So neat and precise are the slices, and so definitely better than anyone could possibly slice by hand with a bread knife, that one realizes instantly that here is a refinement that will receive a hearty and permanent welcome. Clean-made sliced bread, as the Chillicothe Baking Company called it, was successful. Customers were a fan of the conveniently sliced bread, and demand for Rowetter's slicing machine grew. The first bread slicer broke down after about six months of heavy use at Bench's Bakery. But some bakers were still skeptical, as some loaves did not look neat enough. A baker named Gustave Poppendick bought Rowetter's second machine and worked on improving its design and function. His modifications put the bread in cardboard trays and wrapped it in wax paper. Though sliced bread was growing in popularity, the Great Depression hit in 1929. Rowetter had to sell the rights to his invention, and the Micro Westco Company of Bettendorf, Iowa, purchased his bread slicing machines. He became vice president and sales manager of the company's Rowetter Bakery Machine Division. In 1930, Wonder Bread began to sell commercially produced, pre-sliced wrapped loaves of bread, making it popular around the U.S. Pre-sliced bread was banned during World War II to preserve food and metal, but the ban was lifted two months after it began. Sliced bread had become a staple in households around the country. July 7th, 1880 is also Rowetter's birthday. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you're so inclined, you can follow us at TDIHC Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back tomorrow for more delicious morsels of history. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.